Well, welcome everyone to New Life Sunday service, everyone. Uh, my name is Young, pastor here at New Life, and it's a pleasure to be able to welcome you in today. Um, New Life is a community that exists for the glory of God and the gospel of grace. So the good news of grace found in Jesus Christ gives God glory. And it's the only reason that we exist as a community and we as individual members have eternal life. And so that's what uh, existing for the glory of God and the gospel of grace is all about. So we're really thankful uh, that you can be with us this morning. It's uh, the only source of hope that we have and for this uh, we give thanks to God. Now we do welcome you and we thank you for sticking with us during this lockdown time, um, having been extended as well. We know that a lot of people might be uh, struggling through this time, uh, but we are really thankful that you've um, stuck with us throughout this. And we wanna welcome you particularly if you're new as well, because right now is a pretty difficult time uh, for you to connect with us. Uh, we know that it's a lot harder to connect with a church during this lockdown, um, especially through digital means, but we'd love to connect with you uh, nevertheless. So um, we will have a newcomer's form later on in the service, so do stick around for that. Uh, more information will be provided at the end of the service. Now usually around this time, um, our presider would take us into a time of fellowship. So. Uh, what we want to do for our time of fellowship is on the live chat that's on YouTube, uh, let's talk about one thing that we're thankful for. Um, if you were with us for Friday night prayer, you would have been uh, able to take part in this before as well. Uh, but if you could type out in the live chat one thing that you're thankful for uh, in this time as a testimony of your thanksgiving and gratitude, and I'll give you a couple of minutes for that. Don't leave me hanging in the live chat. I don't wanna be the only one that says something that they're thankful for. <laughs> um, I'm thankful as my wife, Bora, has entered the third trimester, so we're in our final trimester for our pregnancy. Uh, we've begun getting a few baby things, um, so it's becoming really real to us. Uh, it's becoming really real to me that life is gonna look very different uh, very soon, and we're really excited for that. So as you finish up with uh, whatever you are thankful for, uh, do ch type that in the live chat. And we're about to go into our scripture reading. So as you finish up, if you wanna open up in your Bibles to John chapter six, and we'll look at verses 22 to 40. John chapter six, verses 22 to 40. So you can follow along in your Bibles or on screen in front of you.
John 6, verses 22 to 40, and I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat. They also saw that Jesus had not boarded the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone off alone. Some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. What can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. Jesus replied, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. What sign then are you going to do so that we may see and believe you, they asked. What are you gonna perform? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, sir, give us this bread always. I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. Amen. Why don't we pray together? Father, we seek you. Earnestly, we seek you. Our hearts desire you. Our souls pant after you, even as the deer pants for water. So we look to you this morning, desiring the bread of life, the living water, your son Jesus, our Lord. Help us to look to him in the word. Help us, Lord, to have our hearts receptive to the transformative work that you have for us in your scripture. Would you be with us, Lord, in the preaching, speaking through us by the Holy Spirit, helping us to hear you in a fresh way, helping us to see you with fresh eyes. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to receive you, that we might know you, that we might be transformed by you, Guide us by your Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, to know you and to love you even as we're known and loved. Be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
You know, one more thing that I'm thankful for, um, this week as I reflected upon God's love, I found myself more and more thankful that my status with him isn't reliant on my own strength of faith. It's not reliant on my own strength of faith. You know, I found myself really thankful for that, um, especially during Friday night prayer um, as I had nearly finished up with the sermon preparation. But just examining my own strength of faith and then recognizing God's strength of faith, you know, if my faith were the foundation, it would be very shaky ground indeed. But thank God that my relationship with him finds its foundation in his love and not my own. The key to understanding this comes from verse 37 now for us this morning. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. Jesus will not cast you out if you come to him. Let that sink in. He will never cast you out. Look at how this verse is broken down. Every word of this. Everyone, not some, not most, but everyone that the Father sets love upon will be rescued. Everyone. The Father, and this is not a separate rogue plan that the Son has apart from an angry God. This is the Father himself taking the initiative. Gives. There's no bargaining or arguing over this. The Father gives us to the Son with utmost joy and love, entrusting sinners like us to his gracious Son. Will come. Look at the confidence with which Jesus speaks. Will come to me. God's will is never thwarted. And his desire for salvation for the sinner will be carried out. Jesus' confidence, it's fully in the Father's redemptive purpose, not in the potential response among listening people like you or me. His eyes, as we saw last week, are always upon his Father, the one who brings forth bread from the earth, causes the dead to rise from their graves, even the graves of their hearts. The one who comes. Sometimes we as Christians struggle with this idea of predestination, but let it be shown here that it's compatible with our free will. Although the Father is sovereign over our redemption, he lovingly gives us the dignity of choice. His grace, grace is such that it turns our desires around, turns our hearts towards him in love as our eyes are open to his beauty. And so we come to him willingly. Comes to me, he says. We're not coming to philosophies. We're not coming to self-improvement doctrines. We're not coming to theologies or churches or even to the gospel. Although these are all great and important, we talk about them each week, we come, most importantly, to a person, 
Jesus. And he says, I will never cast you out. Now the way our minds work, if you're anything like me, we immediately like to bring out all sorts of objections to this statement. Like, what do you mean I will never cast you out? What stands in the way of our coming to Jesus as we are? All of our specific situational reasons, all of the personal pet sins that we nurture, that we carry, that we imagine, makes us too repulsive to God. These are the things that we think of immediately. And even when we run out of these particular things to bring up to God, we have this foreboding feeling in the pit of our stomachs that worries that given enough time, Jesus will finally just throw up his hands and say, look, enough is enough, and turn his back on us. You ever have that feeling? Author and pastor Dane C. Ortland he imagines the conversation that you might have with Jesus in this way. No, wait, we say, cautiously approaching Jesus. You don't understand. I really messed up in all kinds of ways. I know, he responds. You know, most of it, sure. Certainly more than what others see, but there's perversity down inside me that's hidden from everyone. I know it all. Well, the thing is, it isn't just my past, it's my present too. I understand. But I don't know if I can break free of this anytime soon. That's the only kind of person I'm here to help. The burden is heavy and heavier all the time. Then let me carry it. It's too much to bear. Not for me, Jesus says. You don't get it. My offenses aren't directed towards others. They're against you. Then I am the one most suited to forgive them. But the more of the ugliness in me you discover, the sooner you'll get fed up with me. Whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Whoever comes to him, Jesus will never cast out. It's hard to just believe this when our hearts are hard. So let's look at the context in our passage today of when Jesus says this, who he makes this, you know, frankly, unbelievable statement to. Look with me at verses 25 to 26. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Here is what the people that have come looking for Jesus are like in our passage today. They call him Rabbi is an honorific title for teacher if you've never heard it before. And yet, they've come to argue with him and to push him to perform more signs. These are confused people trying to make him their political king while at the same time not knowing anything about what his kingdom even means. And 
Jesus responds to them, pointing out that their reason for looking for him is not because of the signs, but because they saw the bread. Does this make sense to you? Like, what's the point of a sign? If you were with us last week, you saw this, right? Signs exist to signify something. They either draw your attention in order to tell you about a law. Think about the signs that you see when you're driving or to point you towards something. They don't exist for themselves. A sign doesn't exist just to exist. They either exist to tell you about a law or to point you somewhere. They're directional. And last week, we looked at the miracle of the five loaves and two fish, the multiplication of the bread and the fish in order to feed the 5,000 men. But the point of what we read last week isn't the miracle itself. Don't get this wrong. We can sit and read about how the, the huge crowd of people were fed and say, wow, amazing, and just focus on the food, but that would be missing the point. The miracle points to the truth. Not that this will be a good king to have because he keeps our stomachs full of bread, but that the son of God is walking amongst them. Now even those closest to him, Jesus' disciples, when they were in the boat crossing the sea and Jesus walks on water towards them, the gospel of Mark tells us this. Then he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. They were completely astounded because they had not understood about the loaves. Instead, their hearts were hardened. This is Jesus, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, perhaps the loneliest existence to have ever been, because even the closest to him hardened their hearts when they saw the signs. How could anyone else even hope to understand? So Jesus warns everyone listening. John 6, 27, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. Stop thinking in such a material way. Look beyond just the physical food that's in front of you, Jesus says to them. This is just like when Jesus spoke to the woman at the well and talked to her about water that will make it so that she would never thirst again and she couldn't understand the metaphor. She could only ask with eagerness for this endless supply of water so that she wouldn't have to keep coming to the well. She couldn't envision this world. She didn't know what living water was. Do we know as we sing it? These people that have sought out Jesus are the same. They seek out someone to keep their stomachs full of bread so that they won't be hungry anymore. Because that's what they're after, survival. But Jesus is telling them, spend yourselves going after food that lasts for eternal life. Jesus himself, the bread of life. These are the people to whom Jesus says, the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. Now what can we infer from this? 
What can we learn? What do we do? Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rests for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Come to him. No secret formula, no special skill, no particular prayer that you have to pray. Come to him. Stop looking for what else you have to do and just come to him. Now the people listening to Jesus misunderstands what he's saying to them. When he tells them to not work for food that spoils, he's telling them that the goal of life is something else. The goal of working is something else. It's not this food that they're after. Material blessings are not worth pursuing. As if food or comfort or family or that job or whatever are the end goal. They're not worth pursuing. But the people can't even begin to imagine a world where food isn't the main goal. Fill in the blanks for yourself. Can you imagine a world where whatever you live for isn't the main goal? And so they focus all their attention on the nature of the work itself. John 6, 28 to 29. What can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. Jesus replied, this is the work of God that you believe in the one he has sent. What can we do to perform the works of God? So their question, you can read it in a couple of ways, but their question is not how they go about doing the work that God does. That's not the work of God that they're talking about. They're asking, how can we do the work that God requires of us then? So Jesus has told them, don't work for food that spoils, but do this instead. They don't focus on the goal of work, but they focus on the work itself, asking, okay, how can we do the work that God requires? Tell us what God requires of us, and we'll do that. Do you ever catch yourself thinking in this way? Their request betrays their hearts, just like it betrays ours. We might just tell God, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. There's no doubt in their minds that they can do it. That they can satisfy God by their own works and obtain this food that lasts for eternal life in this way. Every week during our Sunday service, we open, our presiders open, I've been opening by saying that New Life is a church that exists for the glory of God in the gospel of grace. And each week, our hearts, idol factories that they are, wonder, okay, what is it that I have to do then? What application point is there in this sermon? Let's get to the application point. Tell me how much to give. Tell me how much of the Bible to read, how often to pray. We look for what we can do. Brothers and sisters, New Life family, if we could come up with a goal together, an answer apart from true faith in Jesus Christ, 
would we be able to do it to the point that it would meet God in his holiness? And Jesus has answered it. What God requires is not works that we can live up to, but faith in the one who has completed the works. This is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. What God requires you, of you is faith. Faith is not a work as such that we're able to be good at, that we can tell God we can meet his requirements of. It's Jesus who has met the holy requirements of God, and we believe in faith in the person and the work of Jesus. And it's not an abstract faith, but a concrete faith, because it's faith with an object, a target. This is where our faith points. Our faith is in the one that God has sent, similar to a sign. Jesus, the Son of God, is the one who reveals God to us. He's the only one who can reveal God perfectly to us, because as the Son of God, he has been in the presence of God the Father, in the throne room of heaven, who sent him from his side so that the world might be saved through him. It's faith in this Jesus, the only proper object, the target of our faith. This is what God requires, not works in any sense of that word. And this faith, it's not from us, as though it's something we can come up with. It's a gift from God, a fruit of what God has worked. It's something we can ask for, but it's not something we can conjure up on our own. It's something that God gives us. When we know, because of the gracious gift of God that is revealed to us, that Jesus is the welcoming savior who doesn't turn anyone away who comes to him. This should be enough for us to believe, to place our faith in him. It should be enough. But what are we going through right now that's seeing wild fluctuations in our faith? What are we going through? Whether it's three weeks or two years, the ups and downs of coronavirus and lockdown have shown us how much the changing circumstances of life seem more real to us than God himself. And so we even seek out more and more displays of power from God. We're discontent with his promises of old. We're not content with what the perfectly good and loving God has told us already. We tell him, oh, if you're really good, then do this. John 6, 30 to 31, what sign then are you going to do so that we may see and believe you, they asked. What are you gonna perform? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, just as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. We're not so different, not these crowds that have sought Jesus out in us. Don't you hate that? <laughs> when the people that you're looking at in the Bible are not that different from you? 
We're not so different. To this point, Jesus has been teaching with great authority and has even displayed the great sign of the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 men. And yet they ask him here, what sign are you going to do so that we might see and believe you? Was that not sign enough? What more signs can we seek out from God so that we can determine if he is worth following? If you find yourself in Christ and you continue to ask God for these things, we're not so different. The people, upon seeing the sign that suggests something to them, don't think to bow and worship or to follow him but they feel that being in the presence of the promised Messiah gives them the right to demand more signs than the ones who came before Jesus. Like, let me confirm this. I deserve to receive more signs so that I can know. It's as though they're saying to him, if you're promising to provide something better than the prophets who came before you, you better be prepared to display even greater miracles than the ones that they displayed. If Jesus is superior to Moses, oh, show us a greater miracle than the manna in the wilderness then. Why doesn't Jesus lower himself to these demands? He knows. He knows what they're after. A political savior, one to overthrow the current government and put them back in power. They had just tried last week to forcibly make him king after seeing the bread and fish multiply. This is at the beginning of chapter six. For Jesus to now bow to their demands will be to say, actually, what you're wanting is right. I will be your politician. So why doesn't Jesus lower himself to our demands? Well, he knows our hearts too. For him to bow to every whim of ours will be to become domesticated, like he's our pet. For his revelation and his salvation to submit to the will of humanity. For the gracious will of God to give in to the ungracious will of his creation the unchanging wisdom of God to fall to fickle and unwise humanity. You've got to hold this intention with what we talked about in our previous series, teach us to pray, because we can go to the Father and talk to him and ask him, but we should never be demanding, we should never expect that he submits to our will. See, we have a captivating God who loves us and is captivated by us, but he's never held captive by us. And thank God for this. Because it's better for us that our faith finds its basis in Jesus instead of ourselves. Because his grip on us is stronger than our grip on him. You and I know this. 
If you've ever had your faith fluctuate, you know this. John 6, 37. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. All that the Father gives as a gift to his son Jesus will surely come to him. And whoever in fact does come to Jesus, the son will make sure to keep in and preserve. It's better for us that our faith finds its basis in Jesus because not only is his grip on us stronger, but his grip on the Father is stronger than our grip on anything in this life. Verses 38 to 40, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. As Jesus responds to the people, his heart is revealed to us. The reason he incarnated coming down from heaven was not to do his own will, but the will of the Father who sent him. And this is the will of the Father, that the Son should lose no one that the Father has given him. Blessed assurance is this, that the Father is perfectly good and perfectly able, and he graciously gives us to the Son to save and to keep us. That's blessed assurance for us. And the Son is perfectly obedient and perfectly righteous, securing forgiveness and adoption on our behalf. He does this for us. And the Spirit works in our hearts throughout turning us towards him, transforming our heart's desire. If any failure were to come, it would be to God's shame that the son would have been unable or unwilling to obey the father, which is impossible. And so, you can rest assured, the son will never cast you out. Jesus doesn't say to you, whoever comes to me with enough sadness in his heart and contriteness, whoever comes to me and is finally living perfectly first, he doesn't say, whoever comes to me and is putting in as much work as I am. Jesus says to us, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Come to him as you are this morning. Let's pray. Father, as you take our eyes off ourselves, help us, Lord, to look away from that loop, that cycle that continues in our hearts and our minds. 
telling us again and again, you can't go back to Jesus yet. You're not good enough yet. Look at the sins that you've committed yesterday. Look at the sins that you commit even today. Look at the sins that are going through your minds even now. You graciously take our eyes off of these things. You graciously silence these voices in our hearts. And we long to hear your voice once again, telling us, come to me and I will never cast you out. What comfort this is to our hearts, to our aching hearts. What blessed assurance for wretched sinners that have found their home in you. Thank you, Father, for your graciousness in giving your Son that in him we might find salvation and adoption into your family, that in him we who were once orphans can find ourselves sons and daughters of the great living God. We find ourselves wrapped in your warm embrace. We find ourselves comforted by the knowledge that we will never be cast out by you if only we would turn our hearts towards you. For those that have never known your love and for those that are far from you now, I ask you, Lord, reveal your heart to them this morning. In your son, Jesus, in our beautiful savior, that their heart's desires might be turned towards him and that they might take even that one step towards you and find that you've already closed that distance and you're wrapping them in your arms, telling them that you love them, telling them that they are forever yours. For those of us that find our hearts wandering away from you, turn our hearts towards you once again. Remind us, Lord, that this world has nothing to offer us, that you are so much greater than the bread that perishes, than the water that will make us thirst once again. In you, we find the bread of life and the living water. In you, we find that we will never hunger nor thirst again. Where can we turn from you? when you have the words of life. Help us, Lord, in this time to seek you. In Jesus' name, amen.